You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And welcome back to our show. We are so grateful that a, uh, a very busy and uh, uh, undoubtedly uh, trying to figure out all the uh, corners of his desk and everything that is waiting him is our brand new commissioner of the probation service here in Massachusetts, Commissioner uh, Pamerson Eiffel. Thank you so much for joining us, Commissioner. It's a pleasure, um, Bill and William. I, uh, uh, Buzz and William, did I get that right? You got that right. It's Buzz and Bill is how we go. And um, yes, here in Western Massachusetts, we have a number of uh, courts. Uh, all of them have a probation department that is attached yes. to them. And we want to talk all about um, uh, not just the overall probation service and the more than 100 uh, probation departments that are connected to your service, but... I'm sorry, Commissioner, we have to start because you're a pretty interesting guy. We have to start with you. And I, I wanted to start, I read in the Boston Globe, and uh, just before New Year's, there was an article about our new commissioner, and it talked about your background, and it began with your own brush at age 17 uh, with the law, which you described yourself as being a borderline delinquent. And um, I think that's a wonderful experience for somebody who's going to be the commissioner of our probation service. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your brush with the law and uh, what happened as a result? So, so like many grown up in Barbados, <laughs> uh, you know, some of the things, and, and I've always thought, you know, the difference between the U.S. and Barbados that as young kids, you know, you know, when you make a mistake or you make mistakes, they aren't necessarily fatal to the trajectory of your life. And, 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 you know, when you look around, growing up in Barbados, my mother died when I was nine years old, and I lived with a man for around 13, until I was 13, actually. And I remember one afternoon going to watch a women's cricket match and came home late and took a whipping for that. And I decided that that was the last whipping. She was one of those fire and brimstone in a spade of rods by the child, but but I ran away and I was living off and on, you know, back in the neighborhood where my mother had died, and well, not too far from where she, she had passed away when I was nine. And as a young man, without a lot of adult supervision, I, you know, I would get involved in, you know, little things, <laughs> you know, um, that the juveniles sometimes would typically get in, but this brush particularly was probably one of the more formative things that impacted my life. My mother had died when I was nine, again, as I mentioned, from a ruptured appendicitis. Um, and, and uh, you know, and as her appendix burst, and I think if you, or we all understand it can poison the body, and she died from that, you know, something that was a routine, you know, it was almost routine in any other part of the world back then, you know. And so I remember this young, man who was probably age, you know, the same age as I are, a year younger, you know, he would always be mercilessly teasing me about that, that she was poisoned without giving the true context of what, you know, how she died. And I, we got into a fight. Um, then he went home and he told his mother, and unbeknownst to me at the time, she told him that go back and he should stab me. And he came back and I watched him walk up and uh, he walked up and I knew he was going to do something, but, you know, I didn't, you know, didn't expect that he would stab me, but he did. 
and you know, I blocked, partially blocked the knife with my hand, my wrist. It sliced my hand, but it embedded itself about, you know, less than an inch and a half from my heart. And I, you know, I, I think that partial block, you know, sort of prevented the knife from going um, into my heart. And, you know, that would result in, you know, in a hospital um, stitches. And I got an infection from that stabbing because the knife was, had something on it. And this isn't, um, but a few months later, I would catch up to him. And, you know, that was, you know, uh, resulted in him sustaining some injuries, nothing life threatening, but nevertheless, um, the police came and they had me in the back of the cruiser. It wasn't a cruiser, it was sort of like a small mini um, Suzuki van. And I remember one of the local police officers going by, the car was parked in front of the house where I lived. And I was living in a house, there was no electricity, no running water, no utilities, outhouse, you name it, because I was a child living in poverty. But um, he stopped. <laughs> Um, and, and talked to the folks um, and, and took me out of the back of the vehicle and he gave me $2. And then he asked me to meet him in the city and I met him in the city unbeknownst to where I was going and introduced me to a guy by the name of Sam King who was the nas national boxing coach at the time. And so that began my story with almost, you know, ending up, had, I, had he not intervened, I would have ended up in a, lock facility they call it dogs and in barbados if you go to jail or prison or a delinquent facility you, you know though those could be devastating just like here the labeling of being a criminal or felon and that, that's what I, I wanted to ask you about the commissioner so so we have a situation in which you're a borderline delinquent you have yeah. a police officer who is sort of giving you a second chance um yes how does that inform your long career as a probation officer as a uh, deputy and now as massachusetts actual commissioner of the probation service how does that experience impact on the way you see your job now well look I, because I, I i go from the premise that 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 you know young children of any age will make mistakes and, you know, if I look back back then and I processed that, I probably, you know, wouldn't have gotten involved the way that I did. But um, it informs me by telling me that young people will make mistakes, that if we can find adults that can work and support, provide the right kinds of services, the right type of engagement, the right type of mentorship and accountability, because, you know, um, I, I think those are all important ways that we in the probation service could use those lessons. And so my experience have taught me that that didn't define who I was back then or now. It, it gave me an opportunity to walk away from that. Uh, I became, you know, I, I became the, the light heavyweight champion of Barbados, came to the United States to pursue a gold and became the 1986 Kansas City Golden Gloves champion. But what I'm saying to you is that it informs me in a way where I know that so many young people who make mistakes, that doesn't necessarily ultimately define what their potential is. And if they get the right kinds of supports, access and opportunities, they can be successful. And so I, I think if you look within criminal justice populations, poverty, 
um, lack of access, lack of housing, education, employment, all of those are factors that when then you add substance abuse and mental health issues, you can see that within those populations, there are people that if we can get the right kinds of services for, that they too can be successful. So that's how that informs my approach to probation. I know that diversion is so important, particularly when we're talking about young people, but also when we're talking about adults, that, that there are alternatives to just warehousing people in prisons. And, and I know that in terms of probation, when you're, when you're working with folks before um, and during um, this sort of trial phase, um, and sometimes they're placed on probation for a long period of time, uh, how, uh, you, you use the word accountability, you want to hold them accountable. I know that there is a tension between personal liberty and public safety, and you are, in fact, part of the public safety complex as being the commissioner of the probation service in Massachusetts. But how do you navigate between trying to help an individual who made a mistake like we all do and protecting society? Well, I think part of this is, you know, I mean, you mentioned diversion, and, and you know, a, a lot of diversion actually has shown that it is work. I mean, if you go back 10 years ago in Massachusetts, we had about 86,000 people on probation. That number is now somewhere around 50, 55,000. And so a lot of that, I will say, goes back to, um, you know, police departments, district attorneys, the criminal justice system. There's a lot of diversion happening around the Commonwealth. But I think in terms of reconciling that aspect of balancing accountability, rehabilitation, I think it starts with our ability to really assess individuals and determine what those needs are, what those criminogenic factors are that drive, you know, either the, the, either the, the delinquency or the behavior. And once we understand that, we can think about how we respond, you know, we need responsivity. What, what are the needs that we can service? So if somebody's got substance abuse issues, can we treat the addiction? If they've got a mental health issues, if they've got employment, housing, education, can we find those kinds of services? And if people demonstrate through not reoffending, going to programming, going to treatment, finding employment, staying clean and sober, um, as a probation officer, you spend a lot of time calibrating and recalibrating that. And if people are doing well there, there's a need for us to make sure that, that we recognize that, um, that we reward that. But at the same time, if you are providing all of those services and people aren't compliant, they're reoffending, they're committing. So you make those calls based on how that individual um, probation or individual is responding. Uh, um, you know, sometimes the system tends to look and act monolithic, and I think that's where we run into challenges. And so we look at, and as a probation officer, it is important that you look at the individual, you look at their responsivity, you look at their treatment needs, and then you respond accordingly. But I think sometimes that balance is difficult. I mean, we could get it right in the probation service or in the criminal justice system on the courts. We can get it right a hundred times, and that isn't often talked about. But if we miss one, <laughs> That's the one that makes the news, and that's the one that sometimes is used to judge the entire system. So I think it is important, you know, for you know opportunities like this to share when we think about probation or you think about the work of law enforcement. That probation, at the end of the day, is really ultimately interested in people being successful, but at the same time making sure that anybody that presents a, a danger to the community that we that we also make that respond that we respond in a way that is appropriate and timely and measurable. 
Commissioner Pemerson, I feel. Bill, you have a question. I do. Commissioner, it is pretty typical in Massachusetts courts for someone who is placed on probation to say you have this uh, suspended sentence or you face this potential penalty, which often involves jail or prison, and you are on probation for a certain amount of time, and here are the conditions. What I would love to know is how often is probation successful in the sense that what percentage, if that's kind of information is available, of people put on probation successfully complete their probationary period, and what percentage of them, unfortunately, end up in jail or prison instead? So, I mean, that's a, a great question because I think on average, you know, when you look at probation data, it tells you somewhere between 33, 34% of people are successful, meaning there are no violations, they aren't, you know, they, they don't get rearrested or, 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 or they don't end up deeper into the system. I think for us, we, we are continuing to look at that data because I think those are some of the things that we we need to do a better job at. We're building, you know, over the next couple of years, a new case management system that will better be able to answer that. I think the challenge often is that, you know, within the courts all across the Commonwealth, the criminal justice system, not just in Massachusetts, in legal systems around the country, are dealing with populations who are living and experiencing a lot of structural and systemic barriers. And again, it goes back to this issue of, you know, access and education at an early age, healthcare outcomes, all of this employment, economic, socioeconomic factors. And so I think for us in probation, uh, you know, is can we find the kinds of right resources and services to help people? And I think we do a really good job there. But again, more often than not, we're trying to work with populations where a lot of systems have failed. And as a result of that, they end up in the criminal legal system. And probation, long after everybody goes home, we spend a lot of years sometimes, we're working with people from zero days old, you know, with our camp protection cases to people that are as old as you were, I build and buzz as old as both of us, all of us. So I think the challenge is there's the finest system that can service the needs of all of those peoples across the spectrum and still be successful. I'd like to know about how drugs play into this uh, system of probation, and in particular this. Uh, drug rehabilitation is a phrase often used, but uh, for a person who has a substance abuse issue, uh, recovery is not an event. It, it's a process, and persons placed on probation who are there because of drugs, either in the offense itself or the offense is related to drugs, the odds of them getting through probation without some kind of uh, event that would technically, or not so technically, be a violation, I think are very small, actually. And then it, yeah. and then it turns on the individual probation officer. Are you going to violate this person and recommend to the court that the person be sent to jail or prison, or will they continue on probation? And it seems to me that's a very individualized decision of the probation officer, which I th would appreciate your perspective on. Look, I'm glad you asked that question because I think it's a very intuitive uh, question. I, here's what I'll say to you about our approach. You know, I'd say to you 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, our, the way we responded to, to violations 
uh, is significantly different than, than, than now. We spend a lot of time working with populations that are struggling either with substance use issues or mental health. I mean, it's over. And, and so a big part of that is probation officers being able to understand those needs um, and don't respond to addiction as something, as a failure, but more as, you know, somebody's got a substance use disorder. The trial court, the Supreme Judicial Court just put out new standards on substance abuse and mental health. And it fundamentally asks us to explore every possible treatment option to address issues of addiction and mental health. Um, sometimes we've got a significant portion of our population that have got these co-occurring disorders there. Mental health issues as well as the substance use addiction. So I think for us, we spend a lot of time, you know, you know, around issues of relapse prevention. We fund a lot of it within our substance uh, community justice support centers. We work a lot with a lot of partners and agencies in the community treating, and we treat addiction as a disease. We don't treat it as a, you know, a criminal issue. I think long gone are the days. I mean, I, you know, internally in my family and externally, most people's families, one of us have a member, relative, family member, a friend who, who, who are all battling addiction. And I think um, a big part of that is we as an organization, we do a lot of training around these issues, understanding that people may take three, four steps forward, two steps back, even before they begin to address the, the addiction issue. So we spend a lot of time working in that space. We are speaking with uh, a commissioner, Pamerson. I feel the first black probation commissioner of our probation service. I want to piggyback on on Bill's question, Commissioner, after the break, I want to just ask about the fact that here in Western Massachusetts, we have a number of different, different district courts, probation partners with our local law enforcement, with our local human services agencies, and how we sort of make sure that probation services are tailored to the location in which they are served. We'll be right back. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. We're speaking with Commissioner Pamerson Eiffel, who is the commissioner of our uh, Massachusetts Probation Service. And Commissioner, just before uh, we broke... Uh, I was asking you, we have a number of district courts in this region, superior courts in this region, without talking about them all. There's, you know, a couple dozen that are right in our region. And I want to know how you localize your contact as a probation department with local law enforcement and human service agencies in the areas, the diverse areas that you work with here in Massachusetts. Commissioner? Commissioner, you have... We appreciate you muting I, yourself, but we need you back. Yeah, Thank you. I apologize. That's okay. I, I'm hoping that the rest of the state isn't listening because I'm going to put this on the record. But the western part of the state is one of my favorite places to visit in terms of courts. I, you know, I've worked with, with the chief out of Northern, you know, Don Wright out of Northern Berkshire. You know, um, uh, a lot of work with, with with the chiefs. You know, probate district superior court. Um, in, in Pittsfield with, at that complex, as well as Southern Berkshire with Alpha Belonga. And, and you know, one of the things about the Western Mass is 
as much as you may have rural communities, there are a lot of sort of those urban dynamics that are happening, you know, in, in Pittsfield and some of those surrounding communities. And I, I think, you know, um, uh, Eastern Hampshire and all of those other courts in that part of the Commonwealth offer this urban, rural, suburban dynamic that sometimes is, I think, is relatively complex. But the one thing that is true across all of those are sort of those, you know, some abuse mental health issues. And so when we think about those courts, um, it is important to understand that those courts are seeing several different dynamics coming into the court system with a lot of different complexities. And it is important that we have staff and probation officers and probation staff and trial court employees, courts, judges, clerks that understand these dynamics. And, and so also understand the availability and the level of resources over in, in those communities. So I think part of this is I rely as commissioner on the expertise of the staff in that area to inform me about their needs and about the needs of the community. And, and we respond as such. One of the things that I'm really driving going forward is our community engagement and how we engage our communities. And, and when I'm talking about individuals, families, but also the types of um, services and all law enforcement and, and community justice partners. I think those are important steps, but I think first understanding the population and the dynamics is an important part of, of, of my role as commissioner and how we respond with resources is an important part of that. Commissioner, in, in a minute or so, uh, you have about 30 years of, you have decades of experience in our probation system, and I'm wondering how you think that assists you in now be the commissioner, the guy at the top? Well, look, I, I started my way as a juvenile probation officer. I've worked across Superior District um, and, 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 and courts, uh, juvenile Superior District. And so I've got a broad understanding about the needs and about the, the, the populations across the Commonwealth and the staff that we have and the kinds of resources. And, and in Massachusetts, I still think that we're one of the foremost um, develop steps in addressing these needs and issues, and that continues to inform me in my work as I move forward. Well, we are just really glad. Listen, once again, congratulations. I'm so glad that we hired somebody who really has been in our system for so long. The probation department of each of our courts plays such an important role, and to have somebody who understands that diversion is what we're looking for. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Bill and Buzz. I'll come back again. Let I me know. would love that. We would love that. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today. All right. Have a nice day.